Hello, everybody. Welcome to another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. This is a very exciting week for the podcast. I have a lot of awesome stuff going on that I want to share with everyone. First, I will be joining Brian Rodman and Jeremy Woodring on their podcast, Dastardly Dingoes. Their podcast covers all things nerdy. From comics to movies, they're tackling everything that is beautifully nerdtastic. The link for their show will be posted in this episode's description, and that will be going up on September 30th. So please tune in and check that out. Second, I was invited by the American Horrorplex, which is a haunt here in Louisville, Kentucky. I was invited to visit their attraction to speak with some of their scare experts and to tour their facility as a whole. I'll be doing that on October 2nd, and the link for their attraction is also in the episode description. I will also be sharing the episode that discusses my experience at their attraction on October 12th. So be on the lookout for a discussion about this incredibly interesting niche. And finally, I will be venturing out to the Fright Night Film Festival taking place here in Louisville, Kentucky on October 3rd to chat with some of the great guests that will be in attendance, which include Nicholas Brendan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, John Wells, the former What the Niche guest and star of a slew of films, Nathan Thomas Milner, again, another former What the Niche guest and jack-of-all-trades. Tori Jones, who was the director of a film called Wicked Ones and various other films, along with a ton of other great guests. If you're looking for a great way to get out of the house and get into the Halloween spirit, please come join us at this great convention. All of the recommended COVID-19 precautions and recommendations will be practiced and are in place. Again, as always, please continue to share and subscribe to the What the Niche podcast via any of the major podcast hosting platforms. I'm so grateful to be able to continue providing great and fun conversations with all of you every week. Thanks to every listener for your support. Now, it's on to this week's episode. In this week's episode, we will be sitting with the man behind the curtain of the Fright Night Film Festival and previous conventions, including Fandom Fest. And he will share his thoughts on what it means to be an entrepreneur. When you had that third failure in a row, did you think, I need to pack this in? Never. Why not? I don't ever give up. I mean, I'd have to be dead or completely incapacitated. People say you, you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, and it's totally true. And the reason is, uh, is because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, if you're not having fun doing it, you don't really love it, uh, you're going to give up. If you think you're going to be a lot happier if you've got two X instead of X, you're probably making a mistake. I mean, it, uh, it, uh, you, ought to, you, ought to, you ought to find something you like that's, that works with that. And if, 
and you'll get in trouble if, if you think that making 10x or 20x is the answer to everything in life because then you will do things like borrow money when you shouldn't or, or maybe cut corners on, on things that your employer wants you to cut corners on. Or it just doesn't make any sense. You won't like it when you look back on it. If you're going to start a company, it takes so much energy that you know you it better overcome your your feeling of risk. You're going to run across a lot of rejection. I say this time in and time out. Be prepared for the rejection, no matter how bad it is. Don't let it overcome you or influence you. Keep on going towards what you want to do, no matter what. No matter whether your bills are paid, not paid. Someone says no a thousand times. Again, go back to be as enthusiastic on door number 100 as you were on door number one. You know, I had to convince myself that uh, I'm going to make it. You know, regardless of how people felt at the at that time, and what what it does is it makes it makes you feel like well, it made me feel like um, there's going to be points that people are going to mistake my confidence for arrogance because I've had to. They don't understand the process I went through mm -hmm. and how much I had to believe in myself in order to make these things happen. I kind of I feel like you can will yourself into a good space. Mm -hmm. Things that are meant to happen will, and if you believe in yourself enough, you can help yourself learn. Ice cream cones in the mid-July sun at the neighborhood spot. A light hum of conversation echoes off the mirror as pieces of hair drift to the floor. Another frothy beverage slides down the bar of your favorite dive. Baskets filled with chops, steaks, and lunch meat as you walk down the aisles of the local grocery. Smiling faces call you by name and ask about your family. Mom and Pop Comfort, the lifeblood of our communities. Running through the veins of the locally owned hearts, dreams come to fruition. Complacency laid to rest as those pillars of the society found their way out of the recesses of the corporate gears of the economical machine, grinding away and forging their own paths, building bonds between those in their neighborhoods, and navigating through the doubt and indifference, small pieces of a grand enigma. Those citizens of business pledged their allegiance to creating opportunities rather than waiting their turn all taking a swing at hitting their own home runs. And in the bottom of the ninth, some will strike out and some will watch their aspirations make it over that back wall. But all will leave their marks on the game. And hopefully those who have enjoyed those ice cream cones, haircuts, deli cuts of meat, or great meals find themselves inspired by all those who stepped out onto that field. And this brings me to today's guest. His name is Ken Daniels. He is a husband, friend, artist, writer, and entrepreneur. He has been responsible for putting together beautiful events that have provided opportunities for memories that last a lifetime, such as the Fandom Fest, and the Fright Night Film Festival. And during our conversation, we talk about how to succeed 
and try to lay to rest some of the assumptions people make about entrepreneurs and business people alike. Overall, we make wonderful connections to life and how simply having a desire to achieve can be all the catalyst that you need to bring those desires to life. I hope everyone enjoys this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Hi, my name is Ken Daniels, and I am an entrepreneur, artist, creative, uh, all-around, build-your-entire-world empire the way you see it kind of guy. Yeah, I, I, it's it's awesome to know um, kind of the brains behind a big operation uh, with things like Fandom Fest and, and the like, because uh, talking to you and, and learning some of the ins and outs of what it's like to work with some of these big-name celebrities uh, I find it really interesting that you're able to make something out of that that is a, a career, realistically, and uh, something that you're able to make a living out of just uh, hanging out with people that you admire. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. wild. Um, well, one of the ways I like to start these conversations is uh, I mentioned this to you in what I like to call the social lubrication period, in which we talked a little bit before we started, um, is what are some of the misconceptions? So, we talked a little bit about what you uh, what you're involved with, and we said that we would focus our conversation on you being an entrepreneur uh, because you are a businessman and you're doing those things and make it making major moves. What are some of the misconceptions that you think people associate with you being an entrepreneur? Um, the first thing people they think when you're an entrepreneur is you are um, greedy. Number one. They think your big business is if you're just a massive corporation and you've got lots of money. Um, when I started everything I've started, I started as an artist. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be an animator and a special effects guy in Hollywood. My dad said, get a, get a real job. Okay. And um, how dare I him. was eight. How dare him. I was 18. <laughs> and uh, I remember one day he, uh, he apologized years later because they were making a fortune back 1992 they were making like $150,000 a year um what I ended up doing at the age of 18 afterwards when I realized I couldn't fulfill that dream as I went in uh, to uh, my second favorite thing which was I actually grew up with a disability so health uh was really important to me taking care of my health uh, I grew up with a disability when I was nine years old. It, it happened to me. I had, uh, actually, I was diagnosed as a childhood epileptic, epileptic. And I never told people. And I just started talking about it. I don't, I never liked to be labeled. And I had a lot of issues from the age of nine on trying to get that health back. They put me on medication. And when I became the artist, I was like, okay, if I can't be an artist, I got to find something that I really want to do that's going to help me. So I went into the fitness field, health field. So when I was 18, I went to study to be a massage therapist uh, so I could, you know, uh, make a living at something because I knew it was something that you could do going to chiropractors and doctor's offices, even though it was really new at the time. Um, but it was the healing arts. And most of the things that I was interested in were the arts. However, because of what happened to me and I grew up poor, I just didn't want to be poor. What, what I called poor, um, low middle class. We had no money. 
it seemed like we were really poor. We grew up in the south end of Louisville, off of Dixie Highway. And uh, I just, you know, when, when that happened to me, I saw life differently. Um, I became more um, focused on making sure that I could take care of myself. So, you know, what people don't understand is if you have epilepsy and you're nine years old and you have a seizure and your world shakes, your foundation moves, and you can't stop it. So for me, psychologically, it was always about making sure that my security, it was important for me to have my security. So I wanted my foundation to be somewhat as secure as you could in the myth of America, so to speak. You know, it was, I just didn't want to be poor where I had to continually do the things I love to do, which was draw, art, paint, be a cartoonist, uh, which I did for a while, worked for, believe it or not, the Jewish community newspaper for a while, uh, selling cartoons to them. That was interesting. I still have my first dollar I ever made. It's actually in the other room uh, from nice. doing cartoons. But um, I ended up doing massage for about 16 years. I started a small school, um, got out of it, the school in the 90s, and then ended up with my partner, and she and I ended up traveling the country and it taught me a lot about oh hey look there's a lot more to life than just here so the art part of me the artist part of me got to see new worlds new things and, and opened up my creative bent so through that process it sort of fed me into every other career because people constantly say to me what haven't you done and I look at myself and think I haven't done enough you know I've owned a hair salon with my partner, uh, I've owned um, a small marketing company, a massage school. Um, we had uh, various other smaller businesses. Then when we came back to Louisville from our uh, last stopover, which was Las Vegas, we lived in Las Vegas for a number of years, I said to myself, I'm older. What do I really want to do with my life, my time? Well, she wanted to go back to school. She wanted to go into real estate, so she got into real estate. I wanted to have a film festival. So I started a film festival in 2005. It was really tiny. And in 2006, we turned it into a convention with celebrities. And then year after year, we, were, we made mistakes. We learned a lot on what we were doing wrong. Um, the internet wasn't a big deal then. Social media wasn't like it is today. So all of a sudden, we got really big when The Walking Dead came in to this whole picture. And we got massive. We didn't know how to handle it. We also didn't know because we were one of the first show, big shows to ever get slammed by the internet. We had so many trolls, so many unhappy people because we had policies, you know, simple policies. We don't refund your money if a celebrity cancels, things like this. We learned through the years what not to do. And as an entrepreneur, I kept thinking, you know, as I've always thought, there's got to be a better way. So through all these years, Andrew, one of the most important things in any business, whether it was the, the massage, the creative businesses or otherwise, was I loved finding out how to make people happy. As a matter of fact, I have an email. Uh, it's called inspireotherstohappiness at gmail.com. I've had it for years. Um, and when I found out, Andrew, that it, as an entrepreneur, you can't make everybody happy. It's impossible. I worked in sales you know, and preaching to the choir. <laughs> and you know, well, I've got a book coming out, uh, two of them. And one, um, 
uh, I will tell you it's called The Customer Is Not Always Right. And the other book is You Are Not My Customer. And it's, it's simply about the fact that too many people chase trying to have everybody, you know, in a, in a certain way greedy-wise. I was never interested in that. Um, our shows did not make money. You know, we were always like skimming, trying to, you know, try, what I mean by skimming is uh, on the first several years, it was like break even. You know, we were skimming the top, making $100. And then when we got bigger, we were in the hole. So we were trying to get out of the hole, and we were like, no, this isn't, this model doesn't work. So um, I went on a journey when I decided I was going to stop doing the big, big shows because the only people that were really profiting were celebrities. And I'm not picking on celebrities. It's just that's how the model was. You know, there's, I have a lot of friends who are celebrities. I love them. They're great. Um, however, when you're trying to, as we all know now, my field just crashed because of COVID. But the model was not sustainable. And it's not sustainable for most shows. Uh, what most fans don't realize is that most, even some of the bigger shows that people know about that started out as mom and pops, they don't make that much money. You know, you've got maybe 40,000 net profit on a massive show. Shows that have been around for 20 years. Some of them maybe go up to 80,000. But you got to pay taxes on the 80. You got to split that between three people. So really, you're working your butt off all year for $30,000. It's not that much money. Um, so basically, Andrew, you know, for, uh, for me, it's what it brought me to was when we kind of came down and said, you know, we got everybody coming after us about all that stuff for years. We decided that we were going to stop doing it that way. The unfortunate part is, is that the internet has a life of its own. And there's so many people that really aren't about trying to be happy or trying to, trying to get the result they wanted. They just want to complain. So I realized that I didn't want to do anything in the future that was going to take away from my happiness anymore, you know, as far as as best I could be happy. So I decided to make the show smaller because I love the intimacy of being with the celebrities and having a unique experience is what I wanted to do. So that's what I've done. Um, we stopped our big shows in 17. And then in 18, had a small win. 19 took a year off because I had a health problem, a health scare, and I took care of it. And so I took care of the health problem. I've been working on it for the past year and a half. And came back this year, had a great show in Tulsa. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit. And, and here we are waiting for COVID. Because, you know, we, I quarantined for two and a half, three months straight. You know, I went to my property I own and my, con my condo. Nowhere else. Didn't even go shopping. Wow. Uh, for for anything. So. Yeah, it's um, you know, over the course of me starting this podcast, I started it during the COVID pro um breakout and whatnot, um, because obviously I had a little bit more free time, and um, <laughs> as an extrovert, I needed to find some sort of outlet so that I could talk to people outside of my roommate Sean, who you know well, and uh, my wife. You know, so I was like, I got to have somebody else to talk to uh, because as a teacher, I grew very accustomed to having 150 people I could talk to every day uh, with yeah. my students and then my, my fellow coworkers, you know, so on a given day, I got 200 different people that I could just grab an ear with. And um, 
so it was a, it was a weird adjustment uh, as a teacher, you know, and mm-hmm. we really thrive on those relationships. And, you know, I call my students, my kids because they are, and I, and you know, I miss them terribly. So I had to find it. And luckily yeah. for this, so, you know, I'm glad that we're getting to sit down and talk and then you can find a little bit of escape. This that. is, this is right <laughs> up your alley. This is right up your alley. Actually. It's, uh, it's, uh, you're good with people. First time I met you, we had great conversation. We could have yeah. talked, you know, hours and hours. Um, the one, there's some, one other misconception about me that, that you brought up. I'm an extrovert introvert. I'm very introverted quite a bit. If I had my druthers, I'd stay at home and never come out. But there's also those points I have to have conversation. Yeah. I, I need dialogue, discourse, and discussion. I don't want debate. I can't stand debate. Um, I was good at debate years ago, but I can't stand it you know, in school or in any college format because it's, it's built upon the predication to me that you're arguing. I don't want to argue. I want to contemplate. I want to think. That's what I want to do. I want to think deeply about topics. That's why I think uh, debate, for the, not to cut you off, but I think debate ahead, is ahead, broken ahead. because it's about a winner. You're and correct, right. When you get formats like, and I love certain shows like Bill Maher. I watch Bill Maher yeah. all the time. And a lot of times, sure. and it's soundbite shit that I, I don't sure. really necessarily like. I like the long form. Uh, which thank you, Joe Rogan for kind of starting this stuff off. I mean, he's pretty much the godfather of this thing. I love Joe um, Rogan. Of course. I mean, and, um, so I think, I think it's problematic in the fact that debate is like, Oh bro, I, I slammed you son. You know, and it's like Facebook is that Twitter is that, uh, and it's, it's, it's tough. And I, and I get, I get wrapped up into it too, you know, and I get upset my blood pressure goes and I'm like, why the fuck am I doing this? It, yeah. did, it doesn't solve anything because the disconnect is the fact that you're not in person Correct. and you say things that you would never say for a lot of right. different reasons in person. Like, Hey, you might get smacked upside of your face for saying right. some shit like you, some people say on the internet, you're like, listen here, you little twerp. You would never say that to me in a buck 50, you little punk. <laughs> right. But yeah. Beyond that, it's like, it's not civil. You would never do that. Like most people that you know in person, and I do this all the time because I keep a really weird, eclectic mm-hmm. group group of friends. I don't ever want to put myself in a box uh, or in an echo chamber with the people that I keep as friends because I want to know what the voices are on the right. the the different side for myself. You know, I don't want to be just surround myself with yes people that are like, yes, sir. Yes, that's yeah. true. I don't want to do that because I, I never get challenged. You, you and I, I, I didn't know that about you, but it, I, I wouldn't surprise me having met you. You and I think the same as far as that goes. I, for the longest time, I was a, I was a registered Republican. And this year I changed it to independent because, <laughs> because right, well, from, for me, I was a, you know, and, and I'm not trying to tell people how I voted because you can find out. Uh, I voted for Obama twice and Hillary Clinton. I just kind of voted the way I thought things would be better slightly. I was wrong, but I also, what I mean by wrong is this, is that I realized that all politicians, I don't want to use the word crooked because it's not how I feel about them. They all end up on generally opposite ends doing generally the same thing and it's power and it's control. Um, I don't think most of them are really going to solve the problem perfectly. So I have to find certain 
what I call mid-ground level contentment. Because I'm a self-reliant person generally, I will find my way with whoever's in office, okay? Um, and the problem I've seen with this whole thing with what we're going through now is I watch a lot of different viewpoints from yes, Bill Maher to uh, Ben Shapiro to CNN, Fox. I, I listen to everybody. However, what I found interesting recently about this whole topic was I started to follow amazing black voices of individuals that don't agree with how certain things are going against their own, their own fellow race. Okay. They see it differently than a systemic problem. And this is their, this is their thoughts. I'm a learner. I'm just a person that wants to take it in so that I can have a holistic point of view and kind of get a greater understanding. That's why I never really ever, ever, ever in all my years online, I, I'm not on Twitter hardly. I, I maybe had one tweet. Um, I just, I want to listen to more people because Andrew, I feel that when, when somebody, when someone says, when everybody goes in every one direction, but then there's a certain percentage within that group, whether it be a, the, the white race, the black race, the, you know, Asian, whoever it is, I want to hear everybody. I want to be free enough to listen to sensible, rational individuals that give me different insights. And that is one of the things I love about Joe is when he started years ago, he started just sort of one way, okay, having certain styles of guests one way. Then all of a sudden, he expanded his mind through drugs and some other things. Which, that's cool. No problem. Um, as long, you know, he's, he's really listening. He wants to, he's like me. I want to know everything I can to just keep knowing everything I can. I reserve my opinion for smarter people than me because I really have learned. I really don't know as much as I really thought that I did even five years ago. I really, I, I know nothing, you know? So I like, I like this, Andrew, where we can dialogue about stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm smart enough to know that I'm going to listen to somebody who has the wisdom if perhaps I've, they've gone through what I want to go through. That's one thing I do. I, I, I do work with, that's why I've paid people who've been successful to teach me how they got successful after 20 years. You know, what were the key points? So I listen to mentors. I have mentors who are of all spectrums, liberal, not liberal, not political at all, atheist, spiritual people, religious, every single level. I, I love, I think, Andrew, I, I, do, I, love, I, I don't like people, but I love humanity. <laughs> I, you know? I like that, that, uh, that sentiment a lot because uh, it's tough, you know, especially when you keep, you keep talking about the internet and the beast that the internet is. Um, sometimes yes. it can be really difficult uh, to continue that faith in people. Um, yes. but that was one of the, uh, the sparks for me with this was that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, I have a lot of faith in people I do too. I um, and do too. I know a lot of really good people and I feel really lucky to have the people in my life that I do, uh, as I, as I've kind of worked my way through this, I've made impressions on people that I met through this uh, platform Had never talked to some of these people before and they're supporting me every week and sending out reviews. And I've just been blown away by it. But I think 
coming back to some of the stuff that you said, I think the dialogue is important. For me, uh, I was talking to uh, somebody a couple of days ago that I'm the person who likes to talk about the things that make people uncomfortable because that's when you really get to know somebody. You know, people are like, oh, my God, let's not talk about religion or politics. I'm like, that's all I want to talk about. I don't want to talk yeah. about s- small talk I, stuff. Like we could talk about movies and sure. pop culture and stuff like that. But at some point, if I'm talking yeah. to you for a while, that conversation is going to shift into some of those things because I, I'll talk, I'll I, talk about anything and I'm with you. Yeah. I like that. I'll talk about anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's interesting because I like, I'm, I like the, the idea of a holistic uh, perception of someone and a holistic perception of myself and, you know, challenge myself to do things that, you know, I, I wasn't good at before and push myself. And, you know, I, I think Joe says conquer your inner bitch or whatever he said. And, you know, it's, it, um, it's probably not a bad idea, you know, because if, you, if you're not pushing yourself, then like, how do you ever grow as a person? And I think these people that uh, stay so insulated, it's problematic because yeah. It is. And I think that's what we're seeing on both sides uh, of the political spectrums and things of that nature. Like they don't ever find themselves in that middle ground and talk right. to people who have uh, maybe a more nuanced opinion because they're seeing things from both sides. Yes. And I, I hate the term when you say you're a libertarian or you're an independent. Oh, you're just sitting there on the fence. Well, no, no because you bought into the bullshit that you think that everybody is either a or B. When realistically we're somewhere in between the two, because you might think that this is unacceptable on the left side. And then you might think that's unacceptable on the right side. And it's, I don't want to draw those lines in the sand. I just don't. And yeah. It's funny. The other day I had a conversation, Andrew, with somebody and they were shocked that I actually said this. I said, uh, they were talking about people in the world and they got into jobs and you know giving everybody everything and i said well i said i'm all for uh, i said i'm a compassionate capitalist i believe we can make affordable health care work i used to own three medical centers that i got that i took that i made happen with a thousand dollars and i got to see the inner workings of how and these were small clinics that dealt with what i called kind of an anti-aging fun medicine like botox simple stuff but you got to see how a system worked talking to these doctors. And I believe that we can do certain things. We can look at other countries while we're still a great country and say, oh, and please, and I'm not saying this is a generic statement, Norway or Sweden. Because I was just looking on something about Sweden, and this is really interesting. Um, I'm going to relook it up, but it, it seems to be accurate. And this is about guns. Okay, I grew up with guns. My mom, my, my, my parents, rather, my dad had guns. Uh, everybody in my family owns guns. I don't have any guns myself. I'm going to get some just for my own whatever. You know, I want to go out and maybe one day shoot with a rifle or something. No big deal. However, what I found interesting after I was looking up some interesting things was that Swe- uh, Switzerland or was it Sweden? I think it was Switzerland. I believe has more guns per capita than anybody in the entire world. Yeah, it's Switzerland. But their their death by guns is so small, it's unbelievable. It's almost non existent. I mean, literally, and I thought, okay, 
as a person that wants to, to follow success, and success is relative. I'm not meaning financial success. What I call success is if something's working, okay, mm-hmm. how are they doing it, Andrew? How are they doing it? Can we, can we adopt something of that nature here? Um, so I, that's, that's the, what I look for when I look at things. And, and somebody thought that was interesting and said, well, and I, and I said to them, I said, well, listen, I said, I said, I'm a person that I'm not here to take someone's guns away. However, do I think there are things that need to change about it? Yes. Yeah. Sure. And healthcare, because COVID proved a good point about healthcare. We can all have healthcare. Well, I mean, let's look at it this way. I'm fine with people paying a hundred bucks a month for amazing healthcare. I think almost anybody of an average middle income can afford a hundred dollars a month is for a family. I mean, that's for spectacular healthcare. And I mean, no, no deductible, maybe a $20 deductible for the whole time. You, you know what I mean? Just so cheap, but there's something else I'm a big believer in. We as a country, do not care about wellness. So why not tell people the truth about cancer and wellness and then say to the drug companies, hey guys, if you make these amazing pills called vitamins that really do work and don't lie about it and put the real stuff in it and everybody keeps them well, do you know what happens if you keep a population well till they die? They don't spend the money in the healthcare, they spend it in the economy for baseball games and, and new cars and new clothes. They will spend it on what they want. So you're just moving. And then some people can say, so we can do so many things and still being a capitalist country that we all try to better ourselves. And if somebody wants to make a billion dollars, fine, except I have a small thing about that. Under no circumstances should you have, should you have a right to affect Congress as a corporation. You should not have if you can't be innovative on your own and move quickly like an entrepreneur does to be successful the small guy should be able to compete against you just like that now there is another side that i think about and here is an example of why we need stability andrew in some ways we need stability so we need companies that have a hundred thousand workers like ford or amazon or ge chrysler UPS. We need stability in a small percentage because it allows the rest of it to work. We're seeing that shift with this COVID. None of us would have thought the world would shut down as it has. So my thought was, hey, we can do these things because there's other countries doing them. Let's all look and say, you've heard that great speech from the newsroom by Jeff Daniels. Did you hear that great speech about we're not the greatest country? Yeah. It gives me goosebumps every time. It's so good. It's so good. So, Andrew, can we all just understand that what works, works? We can't argue with it. It's not about being a great country. If they're doing better at some other country, let's follow what they're doing. Let's take that and model their behavior to say, oh, guess what? We can have family leave for six weeks paid. How do, we, how do they do it? How can we do it? And, I, you know, I don't want to hear people say to me, well, you got to pay 50% taxes. Hey, people, what do you think you're paying now? You're paying 47%. You're already pretty much close there, and you don't get the benefits they get because of everything you're paying from sales tax to this tax to yeah. that tax. So things are workable even in a capitalistic way. 
We just have to look for it, Andrew. Like you said, we have to go to the middle, quit just quit following one path because that's what this political group says or this political. What if they're all wrong? <laughs> and you yeah. say, there's a new way of thinking. We're going to start it out now. For, because I've said this often. The past is not the future. And neither is the map. Uh, the map is not the territory as well. So if people are looking at maps from what one group believes in one group, that doesn't mean they know the territory. It's just a map. The map doesn't show you the rocks on the territory, the grass, the animals, the whatever's on that territory that you have to avoid, check out, think about. So politically, as an entrepreneur, my thing is it doesn't matter what rules they make. Try to make less of them that are restrictive on people's freedoms that are simple, like you know, like when you go to a something and, a, and you've got to file a license to be able to do this, this, and this. It's not like being a licensed doctor or electrician where you can kill somebody. Why do you got to do that? Well, we know why they're doing it. Just make it easier for everybody, from young people to minorities to women, whoever it is, to help themselves. That's all I ask. So, yeah. You know. One of the things that I know, um, um, I knew some people that were putting on a music festival back in the day. Um, Oh, four, it was called Hellfest, and it was up in uh, New, the, uh, New Jersey, New York area. Yeah. And they were unable to put on the music festival because they were told, um, pretty last minute that they had to cover, uh, hold a million dollar insurance policy on the festival. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, what? Uh, and you know, and this is an underground metal music festival. Um, they might've had, um, 20,000 people coming over the weekend over the course of three days. Uh, it felt like a lot of people because the venue wasn't as huge as like louder than life or something like that. Um, but it was unsustainable. I mean, they couldn't afford it obviously. And, right. uh, they didn't, they weren't able to have the music festival go on and it was unfortunate. And that's one of those like regulatory things that, I mean, yes, I understand that insurance needs to be held on the festival because any number sure. of things could happen. So my stage dives, they fall and they break their neck. Uh, it does happen. Um, the uh, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God was held over in Europe uh, because he pushed a guy off stage and the guy fell and broke his neck and died. Uh, and they wow. wanted to hold him accountable. And he was like, I've done that a thousand times at a thousand fucking different shows. Uh, he's like, the guy was on stage for too long. This is my stage. I'm here to perform. I just helped them off the damn stage. He's like, you know the deal when you come up here. I mean, it's it's simple. Uh, and it wouldn't have been any... He's like, security guards throw people off the stage all the time. It's their job. He's like... And, and luckily, he got out. Um, but I understand what they want to do with some of these things and some of these regulatory things. And I understand that it can't be the wild, wild west. We can't have anarchy with with business because we've seen how that works. That doesn't work either. But I, I but think there, that, but there, but there is a mid level with what you just said. Yeah. And it's like this, you can baby proof your house all you want. Yeah. Child for child proof. Your child will one day possibly hurt themselves. Yeah. And then you're going to blame yourself for, so here's, here's something that I've, I've done for myself. When I was, when I had my disability, Andrew, I could have taken disability for the rest of my life when I was 18 and above. I could have been taking from United States tax, taxpayers 
since I was 18. I'm 52. Never have, never chose to, not going to. I didn't want to be labeled. I wanted to take full responsibility for, there's so many times I could have sued people. Walmart, I slipped and fell. I didn't sue Walmart. They didn't mean for it to happen. I took responsibility for not paying attention to that floor. And people don't want to take responsibility. It's just like in the fitness industry. The reason why you're overweight is because you got to get your health checked out, see if you have your hormones uh, off, see if there's a biological problem first. Then if there's not, it's because either you're lazy, you love food too much, and you don't move too much. You know, if there's not a genetic factor that's yeah. involved, okay? But it's about self-responsibility, and a lot of people want the easy route. And that's where it, it happens in politicians. It happens in kings and queens. I was just reading about an African uh, ruler who just who took $100 million and brought it to America in an oil-rich country while his small, tiny population is suffering badly while he's living. And he is only the second, no, third president in this history. His father was there for 40 years. So people are thinking to themselves, wait a minute. It's not really a democratic free agency to be able to vote our people in. And that's what I say to people. Um, somebody said to me, what would you do if you had a million dollars? I said, I'd quit. And they'd say, well, what, don't you want to make more? I said, why? Let somebody else have their million after that. Let them make their million. They said, you would. I said, there's nothing against people that want more than that. I have no problem. But I look at it, and Andrew, as a, I want to build tiny houses just because I want to live in a tiny house. I want to live minimally. I don't need much anymore. Uh, I ended up buying a big building because I'm going to turn it into apartments or rather an Airbnb or something so I can help people who can't afford high rent in this area that I'm in that's going to go up. Okay, I live in Shelbyville, so rent's going up, and you can't buy a house, a good house, for anything less than 140000 Even then, those houses are really bad from the, you know, generally speaking, not bad. They need a, They need work. And you yeah. should be able to buy a brand new house for 140000 no problem. Right. No problem. Everybody should. You should be able to buy a house for 85000 I've seen the cost in a house. So people who can't afford it should be. I'm an entrepreneur, and I guess is what I want to niche and, and talk about is I'm not one of those greedy people. I'm not one of those corporations that can't see that um, you can still profit, but you can also do good, too. And doing good is what's always at the center of my heart. I've gotten screwed, Andrew, left and right in my situation because of that, you know. But uh, entrepreneurship is, to me, one of the biggest saving graces of humanity. It develops you as a human being. It teaches you responsibility. It teaches you to love your neighbor because you want to customer service everybody that comes through your door. Your thought is never not to serve the person coming in. At least true entrepreneurship is not. It doesn't matter what color they are, what race they are, what sexual gender they are. And I'm fine if somebody wants to have their own religious issues about certain things. That's their business. Me, I wasn't raised that way. It doesn't bother me. I just want you to be a decent person. When you come in, I'm going to respect you. However, if you really are a jerk, you're out of my, you're out of my place. I mean, a, a jerk is a jerk. That's not a – that's not a <laughs> – that's not a religious thing. It's not a race thing. It's not a sexual thing, orientation thing. That is literally just a human thing. Yeah. So 
entrepreneurship, I will leave you with this, this note on that is if we would all learn to, to think really truly what it is we all want. I want a simple life where I can have racket over the long term, just like somebody working at UPS, if they worked there for 40 years, can be a millionaire if they invest in their 401 mutual, uh, their 401ks and the mutual funds. At the end, same with Ford, same with anybody locally, they can become a millionaire, okay? Yeah. But I look at it as a slow and steady growth. That way, everybody can, to some level, do well. So I think, um, I think we should all look at that. And for artists and creatives, I try to help a lot of my friends who are creatives. Unfortunately, they can't get out of here to think, well, what about this? What about this? And it's like, you can't think that way. Your goal is to create something people want. If they don't want it, create something or find that. Or if you've got something that's a good niche, give it to them. Unfortunately, politicians do that, Andrew, to us. They, instead of doing the right thing, they serve their base and it never changes. And that hurts a lot of us, as we're seeing right now, where we do have a great country in its ethos. The ethos of this country and what the piece of paper stands for is great. We haven't lived up to it. And, we, and, and good people like you who educate the next generation to teach them, be good humans. Be good to another and not to get religious but it is a beautiful thing if you really think about it do unto others as you really want them to do unto you well how do you want them to do that i always make the joke well if you're in the bondage that may not be what you want they <laughs> you want them to do but yeah. at this you know what i mean yeah. but at the same time you want them to eat you want them to have health care you want them to have food beyond just eating you want them to have shelter you want them to have love you want them to have community you want them to be appreciated. So yeah. that's what I think entrepreneurship should be. Yeah. I think, I think the, on paper, so much of this stuff is, is, is just so much better than what we've been able to achieve. And I think that that's one of those things that gets kind of convoluted and the message gets lost when you say, this is what I want the country to be. And then people feel as though you're being critical and then it, you're not patriotic. And I think that's one of those right those conversations you can, you can fall into and you know, somebody's like, well, you don't love America. And you're like, well, no, I love America a lot. That's why yeah. I criticize because I understand what it can be. And I, much like you, I agree that we're not living up to the things that it could be, you know, and if you look at these other countries and you see the things that they're doing, true leadership means that you can take things and see that someone's doing it maybe better and start right. analyzing it. If you're a fighter, you, you yeah. see somebody that's got this awesome new move. You're not going to go, yeah, I don't care. I have my stuff and just stay a <laughs> one dimensional fighter. That's not how that works. As an athlete, no. you see somebody that has this great new ball handling skill. You know, you see, Oh man, I didn't even know you could do that. That's why things get progressively better when, when you're talking about athletics. You take an athlete from today and you put them up against an athlete from 50 years ago, it's a whole different animal because yes. everybody learned from each other. And it yes. seems like politics is not doing that at all. It's stagnated. It seems like, well, this is what we've been doing. This is what we're going to keep doing. And that's why we have a worldwide protest with the Black Lives Matter movement because 
you literally are getting the same results that we had in 1915. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people are, are doing what you're telling them to do. You know, go out, do what we asked you to do, you know, be peaceful and so on and so forth. And we're seeing time and time again that people are getting kicked in the teeth, even though they're doing what they're supposed to do. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. It's all madness. Right. And you, you have to say, well, this country is nonviolent. Now, I do understand that when we make comparisons, you have to be, again, holistic. When you look sure. at countries like Switzerland and you talk about gun deaths, you're looking at a country that's extremely heterogeneous population. It's all pretty much one type of person, um, one race, probably predominantly one religion. And I think that one of the unique things about America is also one of the most trying. Um, you have 150 different religions, maybe. You probably didn't right. even know some of these religions existed. Uh, in right. Jefferson County alone, there are 135 different spoken languages. In are one of really? my classrooms, I didn't know classrooms, that. there's eight spoken languages. There's seven different religions and 12 different eth- ethnicities. And one class—that's uh, amazing. It so, what—what really what issues does that present? A lot. There's you. It's hard for you to fulfill the needs of every single person and meet right. every single person where they are. But and it's, it's also yeah. beautiful because we are this this beautiful mixing of of many different thoughts and many different philosophies and many different races and different life experiences. And I think that. When you look at us socially, America, I think that we're one of the most open when you start getting down to people individually. Mm-hmm. We're open and we're, we're a lot more honest. And um, just it's, it's when you go to places like China and things of that nature, not going to crap on them. But a lot of times they're not as socially as capable as we are because they don't oftentimes get out and, you know, they're a little bit more reserved with, you know, Mm -hmm. sharing personal things. Whereas sometimes to a fault, Americans are like super boisterous and, you know, outspoken and outgoing. And, you know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. Yeah. And I I think maybe you had, I don't know, you might've had a point in there. I don't know. No, no, Okay. (laughs) But yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that entrepreneurship, like if you do that, that's what sucks on on the other end of the spectrum with things like Walmart and uh, things like Amazon where you do kill those those small businesses because I'm an avid supporter of, of local business. I'm an avid supporter of local restaurants for sure. You won't ever hear me suggest, let's go to Applebee's. It's happy hour. That will never come out of my mouth. Not one time. Um, you know, that's, <laughs> go ahead. Go, I, mean, I was going to say, that's something funny that a lot of people don't know about me is I've shopped local, local, for oh god since 1990 i'm into grass-fed burgers i own cow shares i've had my own milk come off of a farm supporting small farmers i prefer organic straight from local anytime you know any chance and i've been doing that since the late 80s yeah and i i just don't i just like online the one thing i have to get used to is and, and this is the thing that happened with our business, and this goes transparency. I'm not trying not to be transparent when I have my business. It was just I was raised that there's some things in business you keep away from people 
because the kids online or people online want to know everything about your business. And, what, and, and reality is they can't know every logistic about your business. That's not a healthy thing. Right. You need, to, you need to be as transparent as you can. So for my transparency, I just wasn't used to divulging. You know, I went to the bathroom here today or I went shopping at this store. It didn't mean I didn't want to support these people. I would often go to websites or places and put my testimonial. Love these people. Great place. I shop here. Um, I just kind of saw things differently. And I've learned and I'm learning and I'm adapting to the new way of what they call, uh, you know, ultimate transparency on every level. And like you just said, you know, locally, I have nothing against franchises. There is a positive there, but I'm also a guy that wants to go to a town that doesn't look homogenous. I don't want to go to every town in America and it looks exactly the same as the next town. Yeah. I want something unique about that town or another town, Andrew. Exactly. I want to go and say, like, like there's a restaurant here where I'm at it holds 20 people. Uh, it looks like an old English pub. It's only open three nights a week. It's called uh, the Red Lion. Um, it's a neat little place. And it's what makes where I live. That's neat. We have a lot of a particular uh, type of restaurant here, which I'm fine with. I would prefer them to add many more. I'd love to see, uh, like, like we had a restaurant downtown. And it closed up because they didn't know what they were doing. They were nice people. They really tried. It's the hardest thing to do. Um, however, there are other people that could probably run something because Louisville has amazing restaurants that I, I've always loved to participate with. That's entrepreneurship. That is, and people have to remember that. If you have three local restaurants that do really well, you're not a big business. Right. You're not major corporation that's beyond major corporation is saying you're your texas roadhouse you're lone star you're these big corporations that have you know 800 restaurants across country even though Three, texas roadhouse yeah. is local they started in clarksville yeah. indiana yeah first yeah it, it sure did uh, and i'm proud of them I, I love that story um it's just we can't we can't penalize the desire for success in a way that keeps people from achieving. Look at Elon Musk. I love this guy. <laughs> love this guy. I, just what I know about him even more recently, I'm like, yes, he stood up for his people. He, he wanted to go back to work. He said his people needed to go back to work. He told the county, we're going to go back to work. You come in here and tell us how we can do it. And he said, if you come on my property, don't you arrest any of my people. You arrest me because mm. I'm the one that did it. So he stood behind. He's where he stood in front of his people and said, I got your back. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's oh, a guy. Sure. That, yeah. He just, he just believes it's possible. And I do too, Andrew. I believe that I can take a thousand dollars through thinking more quickly, thinking to use outside systems of different situations that I can be successful in business. And that's what everybody, like our troubles today, politicians, think outside your system, out of your party, look at what really works. Is it really, to see my belief is, I'm not, and I don't want this to be misconstrued, so if anybody does, they can talk to me about it, but uh, I believe we're all equal now. 
today at this starting date right here. Everybody should be treated 100% equally across the board. Everybody. Now, there are some things I think we need to help others with a little bit more because, you know, I personally think there was an amazing teacher, African-American woman. I love her. She was on Oprah in 1983. Marva Collins out of Chicago. She had one of the highest college bound rates of any school in Chicago. Didn't matter what race it was. She had her children dressing up, her little boys in ties. She would call them by their last name. They would call her by her last name, Miss Collins. The little girls were dressed up. Everybody wanted to send their child to that school. She trained amazing humans. So sort of my thoughts are, let's do that again. Let's go to those communities and put those kind of schools to give those children a phenomenal extra boost chance. I'm okay with that. I'm okay spending a little bit of that and say, listen, we got you. We want to help you so that the next go around, all these children are in college or have some other possible opportunity given to them by their hard work and opening way more doors than are already open. I don't know. It's just, I think it can be done, Andrew. I, I think if we, again, I'm always thinking outside of a box like you are. The box is a box for a reason. <laughs> it's not really a box can be crushed, broken, folded down. It can disappear. We don't need to have the box every second. I do believe a society needs rules that all of us equally have to follow, even the politicians. Of course. You know, unfortunately, some of them don't think so. Yeah. Um, I don't care what side of the spectrum they are on or what political party. If we would have done the same things that a few people have done recently on both sides, we might be in jail very quickly. And my, my yeah. belief is we are all equal, Andrew, a hundred percent. I was not raised to see skin color. Otherwise I was raised to see who's a hard worker. And I'll give you an example today. I just, um, I have Hispanics that work for me. I love them. They're great. They come in, they work hard. They don't ask for anything. They get the job done. They ask me to come if, if, when they could come back, and I tell them, "I wish I, I wish I had more money. I would love to hire them all." Um, I offer them lunch. They refuse. I give them drinks anyway because they're they just do well. And I think we can all understand that. For me, it's it's, it's not who you are as far as skin or the the sexual orientation. Are you a hard worker? Are you willing to do, put some effort into your life or anything? So that as an entrepreneur thing is a big deal, Andrew. I can take anybody. doesn't matter if they're from a, a poor end of town, a rich end of town. And if you give me that person and I will teach them everything they need to know about entrepreneurship, 101, 102, 103, 104, the first four years. And if they give me dedication, just some, just, some, just some effort, work. They will take that forever with them. It could be very successful. I will take those type of human beings who are average hard workers over talented people that waste their lives with no effort. And I don't mean to be rude that way. I would just rather work with them because they understand that 
You've heard this expression, Andrew, maybe from, uh, it's, it's from Zen Buddhism. It's uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. You didn't change anything. Right. So it's that concept. Work, effort. Yeah, and it's something that I try to instill in, in my students um, when we talk about these types of things. You know, a lot of them want to be um, <laughs> influencers, uh, which yeah. are these, you know, these personalities on Instagram and YouTube and oh, yeah. things of that nature. And they think that it just happens. And Ooh. it does not. Uh, they don't have a million followers because they weren't grinding. Um, unless you're a Kardashian and you just happen to luck into a really famous uh, family name and, you know, not throwing shade on them either they capitalized on what they had because they easily could have said much like what you did or you said you would do. If you had a million dollars, they just quit. No, Kylie Jenner did not do that. She took that name and she ran with it. She built an empire on it. Um, I don't necessarily think she's brilliant or anything like that, but she's definitely not stupid. Uh, and she definitely um, has a work ethic um, or she wouldn't have done it. So her mother, her mother is brilliant. Her oh, mother yeah. is a her mother is a tiger, and I respect yeah. her, her. I respect their mother. I don't for like that. her, but I respect her. <laughs> Personally, I think I would like to see a, a lot less of that family in the news. <laughs> yeah, but you know, because I mean, they've got so much money. Let somebody else have it. You know, I mean, that's capitalism, have, man. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> that's the thing. But, but see, there's a difference. I have a. I'm a compassionate capitalist with breaks, but people don't know that about me. I'm not saying you shouldn't be allowed to go for everything, but you need to put certain stringent points in place yeah. to, to de-incentivize you to be a, a person to control the world. Sorry, because you knock away the most important thing to me. Don't freedom. tell Jeff Bezos that. <laughs> He'll be the first trillionaire well, in human history. That and, is and I, I'm going to be honest about that. <laughs> I have a problem with Jeff for several reasons. Jeff Bezos company is undermining all the people that are feeding his company. Here's what their algorithms will do. And I know it happens because we saw this years ago and it came out to be true. If you become an affiliate for him and you sell these products, they get their algorithms to see what are top sellers and undercut you yep. after you've done all the marketing and the hard work, and it's thievery, and they just legally, quote, stole from you. But now the government finally is stepping in and saying, whoa, wait a minute. See, I'm all about the little guy prospering with an affiliate through their hard work. Yeah. However, you just set it up so you are now a dictator that you can take from these people, and that's not right because you didn't tell them. So why would they want to – because basically what you do then is you're putting – you're putting you, – you undercut their, their, their price, and you – Take your algorithms and search your engine marketing and everything that allows them to go search through Amazon and guess what the first ones that come up for, the ones for Amazon parent company themselves, and they make all the money. So you just did all that hard work and you did everything to find out what people wanted and then you begin to lose on your every month. And then... Yeah, because Amazon is so big, they can afford yeah. to undercut you and yes. uh, undersell you and then people because you've like you said you gave them the model here's the thing that people now want 
And right. Amazon can right. go, oh, cool. So we're going to start selling that too. And then they sell it much cheaper than you. And they take the initial loss. But then once they put you out of business because they're underselling you so bad, then they will really rack up the profits because once you're gone, their competition's gone. They now corner the market. And Walmart, exactly. and interestingly enough, Walmart, they started that that whole idea. There was a documentary about Walmart and talking about the uh, the woes of big business. What Walmart would do, which Sam Walton, you know, who started the company, would roll over in his, in his grave on all this shit. Um, what they did is they come in and they had these companies that provided products to them and they Walmart being, you know, the largest retailer in the world at this time would come in and say, listen, we like your product. We want to continue to carry your product in all 230,000 of our stores or how many ever there is. And, but we'd like to pay this. And the company goes, well, we can't do that. That goes below what our bottom line is that, you know, that makes it profitable for us at all. And they would go, yeah, let me help you out with that. Then they would help those companies set up organizations and set up their, their new base order of operations in other countries because it was cheaper to make it. And they go, yeah, you can make it at the price that we want if you do that. And we'll help you move there because we already got the hookup. And then these companies would leave America and they would make their products for as cheap as Walmart wanted to. So Walmart is a virus to small business because a lot oh, of yeah. small businesses were providing products to them. And then, you know, as they grew, Walmart's like, hey, you're not growing enough because we want you to, you know, charge this price. And they're like, we can't do that. So, you know, it, it goes against, you know, common business practices and not giving fair wages. You know, that's right. why, you know, and it sucks. We need to change this mentality. And it, it is it's hard when you have families that can barely afford to get by. I grew up in one of those families. I grew up extremely poor. And, you know, my parents went to Walmart and shopped pretty much exclusively because it's what they could afford. So where did you grow up at? Where, where did you grow up at? Uh, I grew up on Central Avenue there in uh, Louisville okay. and, you right. know, right. five blocks from Churchill Downs and right. uh, in between Algonquin and Arcade. Sure. Not yeah. always the most fun place to be, uh, um, but it may be tough. It's fine. And, uh, but it's unfortunate, you know, that a lot of families can't afford or to say to themselves, well, is this fair trade? And it creates this. I guess this bougie attitude, you know, when right. people are like, uh, is this fair trade? Can you tell me the name of this cow? <laughs> you know, and it gets this, it, it clouds the message. Like, no, you're, some people can be that way, like in Portland and things like that. When you, if you've ever seen Portlandia, that shows hilarious, but it is hilarious. it's mixing up. It's muddying the water because it is muddy. That's being good people. Like if if I have to pay six bucks for a cup of coffee, and that person's making a fair wage in Colombia or right. you know Ethiopia, where a lot of these coffee beans come from, consistently, I'm okay with that. I don't give a shit. I can afford that six dollar cup of coffee. It's not going to break me. That's fine. Uh, and that's what people don't understand. It's like if you're thinking about being fair, you're you're thinking about those entrepreneurs. You're saying this person is doing what they're supposed to do. They create a great product. This cup of coffee is delicious, you know, and then there's some other people that are like, I ain't paying crazy $6 a cup of coffee. I'm going to get it at Thornton's. Well, what is Thornton's doing to 
be able to charge so little for a cup of coffee. That's the thing that people don't think about. Who are they hurting in the process? So if you can afford to pay a little bit more for that cup of coffee, think about all the people you're helping along the way. Especially like in Louisville, we have Honey Brothers. Uh, we have Senegos. We have Vent. We have a bunch of these little coffee shops that are fair trade, that are doing that good work. They're still yeah. they're running a business. You'd assume it's successful because they have multiple places around the city, and that makes me happy. I'm glad to see them grow and you know still give a, a quality product. And and that's what's important. You know, I'm not going to shit on chains in general because Texas Roadhouse, I will always frequent their establishment because the food is consistently outstanding. The service is consistently outstanding yeah. and you can't get a better steak for the price. You just can't. Um, yeah, I, and I agree. You're right. So it's not like big business is always bad because it's not, that's not the case. I like uh, Adidas. Okay. Adidas makes a damn good pair of shoes. They're huge. Uh, you know, I love them. I'll go to one quick point on that. Let you finish. Is that is I do not like universal infinitives. All, every, etc. doesn't exist in my mind. I take yeah. the person, for the person, the company for the company. So when people want me to jump in, they have a hard time with me sometimes when I don't because I don't know all sides of the story. I will not. I you know I was bashed online. I was and luckily I have thick skin. You know um, now because of the experience that I was called every name in the book um, because of our business practices. However, these were people that didn't know how businesses work. They just wanted to know that they wanted to meet their celebrity for $0 and walk out there while I had to put the bill. And yet they don't realize that it cost me a quarter million dollars to, for them to see their two, three celebrities and they and it cost them 30 bucks. So on that point, yeah, Let's be a little bit more specific because you've you've addressed this a couple times. Yeah, and there's probably a lot of people who aren't familiar uh, with what what went on. Um, so you were the main um, main person behind you and your wife, yeah. Myra, who is an absolute sweetheart. Um, you guys were the masterminds behind the, what became the large fest festival that you referenced earlier, and I referenced it, uh, Fandom yeah. Fest. Can you explain to some of the people what happened uh, as you as you continue to talk about this? We, we in 2012 we grew really big because of the Walking Dead. We had the Walking Dead celebrities. We did, and plus we had several. We had you know well known celebrities of all levels, from Lord of the Rings to major celebs. We didn't know personally, and it's not that we weren't well researched. We just didn't think it would be that big of a difference. And all of a sudden, we had too many people. Okay, so we decided to go bigger to the to the uh, convention center, and uh, we had some really terrible dealings with uh, working with certain individuals um, about trying to get terrible is not the word. I apologize. It was difficult. I did, we didn't understand why it was as difficult because we had no problems other places that we put shows in in convention centers. So we went to both the convention center and a downtown hotel, the golf. And there ended up being too many people that couldn't get in to see the walking dead people. There were six hour lines and then they had to wait. Some people canceled. So people didn't like our refund policy. They, it had clearly said it before they checked out three separate times. However many times it was, we don't give refunds. Very similar Andrew to a concert, an outdoor yep. concert, yep. five headlines. 
and that's all we did. So we were, you know, we were pretty I much called every day. I've been yeah, like right. a thousand concerts and that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 if it would have canceled, <laughs> if, if the whole event would have canceled, then we would have had to get the money back. It did not right. cancel. We didn't cancel the celebs. They canceled themselves, whether it be through a movie or TV, which always comes first over conventions. Right. Well, after that year, we decided we weren't going to go that big per se with certain celebs. We would go big, but not as big. We had Carrie Fisher and, you know, the stars of Star Trek and other things like that, which were big, but it, it was, we decided we were going to lessen it each year to bring it down to the right manageable year. But what had happened, Andrew, was that, you know, we had 30,000 plus people show up, which at the time we were the biggest in, in five states. Nobody, Indianapolis didn't have their show. Cincy, Lexington, nobody had their shows. Um, and it was what it was. We, we, we worked really hard. We made mistakes. We did. We did not know certain things. We should have maybe gotten other experts in, but we were also given information by other experts that wasn't the right information. We learned a lesson. So we decided, and, and my, my thing was, I wasn't in charge of some aspects. Myra was in charge of certain financial things and other things. And there was a lot to handle. Uh, we had some really great volunteers that really helped us out. We love those, love those people. Um, and there were some things that didn't work as well, and we learned lessons. So, Andrew, what we did was we brought it down every year. And then there was a year we went, and we were going to go back to the – it was 16 uh, – 17, 17, we were going to go back to the fairgrounds. and they sort of pulled a fast one on us. Okay. The 16, we went to the fairgrounds. Um, and we believe it was political. And I don't want to get into why it was, but I'll just say it had something to do with two different political sides um, went against each other. And I, I will not put anybody's name out there because I don't do that. But um, it would seem like they were trying to um, kind of changed the deal on us and we didn't, you know, we had, we had our contract, our deal. And so we, we, you know, we did well by that year. We were hoping to get the same deal for the following year. Everybody said everything was good. And then they changed what they wanted up front and we said, Nope, not going to do it. And they didn't know us as well. They thought that we would have to cancel. We hustled and found, which is funny. We found the old shopping center which is now a nice, it's a bowling alley, it's a gaming situation that all the young kids go to and like. Um, and it's in, it's in the middle part of the, the city. And when we did that, Andrew, it was funny. We had a lot of people that loved it, a lot of, and, and some people that just, again, their professional troll goal, as I would say, would be every year since we messed up, they were never going to forgive us. They were always going to find reasons to put us down, you know, every show. And, and I see it today with my friends because of COVID. All my friends, all these friends I know that got hammered, fans were calling them rip-off artists They would because they wouldn't give their money back. They're holding it till next year. They would call them all kinds of names. And these are good, small business people. They're yeah. not big business. We're not. We didn't, we didn't make money off that year or the year before. You know, if you call working your butt off all year and take it home, a grand 2000, 3000 is a big deal. You really don't understand business. You don't understand, you know, you put that much free effort into it. And, you know, people have this bad mis 
that's the one thing I wish I could get out of human beings is stop perceiving that you know everything that a company or individuals are really going through or doing. Because then you get mad when somebody calls you out back. It's an old, take the log out of your own eye before you, you know, throw down somebody else, you know, kind of situation. Uh, before you pick the speck out of their eye, take the log out of yours, uh, so to speak. Um, so our business suffered through that, you know, optics situation because some of those people weren't going to forgive or give a second chance. And I decided that, you know, I wanted to go smaller anyway, and I wanted to go back to my horror roots, which is where I came from. Um, I love the pop culture, and pop culture is great, but if anybody has watched our field, it has come way down. Um, you've watched various conventions go out of business, well-known conventions. Big conventions go from 25 different conventions down to six conventions in the country. So that tells you that that peak of the walking dead peak is over right now until another peak comes in. It, it's it's got to it's got to ride the low end for a long time. Uh, it had it had about eight years of an amazing run up. Um, so that affected everybody I know today, because if you look at in our industry, I've had people call me. I won't say who ask me how we did it. How do we get through all the the backlash online? I said, you just have to suffer. You have to not take it personally because you're not a bad person. I know two of them personally. They're good people, hardworking. They have good families. I've met their families. They all work in it. It's like a mom and pop organization. Uh, they don't deserve that kind of critique or backlash. And right, even right now, they had to cancel because the state governor said they can't have it. So they got in trouble. So that's what happened to us as well. We got nailed so much that people weren't even, you know, people were, it's funny because these people have never probably done something successful themselves in that big of a way, most of them. Um, so they're not understanding of everything that goes along with it. Then there's others that just like to play that, uh, that game of they like this person better, so they're just going to put those people down because they've never been to that, that event or that thing. And I despise that because that is like, that's why I tell people, just keep your mouth shut about anybody. Why are you taking the time to bother with something you don't even know anything about because you want to hurt people? You, you know what, Andrew, I've always said about business? The fastest way to, to remove somebody from business is never talk about them. Don't go to them and never talk about them. Ever. Guess what happens? Yeah. Nobody, that business goes down. And that, ha that happens all the time. All the time. Yeah, word of mouth is, is big. Um, you know, I can't pay for the people that, you know, take the time out of their day to say kind things about what I'm doing with this. And yes. you know, I've really think those people from the bottom of my heart and I mean it, you know, people like Brian Rodman, uh, great artist, wonderful person. Uh, Nathan, uh, Nathan Milner has literally given a th very thoughtful, a five paragraph review of every episode I've done. And I met him through this. Uh, I'd met yeah. him at a con and bought some of his posters. That was it, you know, and yeah. now me and him talk every couple of days. And, um, I think those relationships are important and, you know, you, you should take care of each other and be thoughtful before you tear somebody down because you, you, like you said, you don't necessarily know how hard somebody worked. Uh, and there's a lot of things that can be out of people's control. Like, I booked a few shows 
um, when I was playing music and dealing with agents and dealing with people when it comes to money is awful. Uh, when you it, put it money is. into any situation, it really changes the, the dynamic and uh, it sucks. I was not a big fan of it. I only booked a couple and then I, I have a, a local buddy, Terry Harper, who is, you know, one of the biggest promoters in the area. And I was just like, I'll just play what shows he wants me to play because this is too much bullshit. Uh, and I can imagine. Terry's, Terry's a good, hardworking guy. I like Terry. Oh, dude. I he's like unbelievable. him. He is. He is. But on your level with the amount of celebrities that you're bringing in, I just can't imagine the headache and so many things that are out of your control. Like if you, it's, it's, uh, you know, Andrew, that's why I stopped doing it to that level because the payoff wasn't there uh, all the way around. And I wanted to be happier with what I was doing. That's why I'm doing, I'm doing some films now, short films. I, I like working with a lot of people. And what I've done this year, Andrew, is I'm expanding my reach with new friends, new people, opening myself up to more creatives. However, I'm the kind of creative that I make things happen. I want to not talk about it. I want to do it. So yeah. what I'm doing this year is I'll call someone up and I'll say, Hey, listen, I want to produce that idea you have. Let's do it. And they're shocked because like I put this short film together. I wrote it. I directed it. Uh, I had a great crew this past weekend. It took us three and a half hours. We were done and it's cute. It's just a simple, and I want to do more of those because it feeds our soul and allows us Andrew to, just learn new things. I learned from everybody there. I asked their opinions, thought with asked them what they thought. And I'm just trying to boost people up. And what I've decided that I wanted to do was truly expand out my circle of people from not just Louisville. I mean, cause I, I love Kentucky. I, I do. I was born here. I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Vegas, Phoenix, but I love Kentucky. And I, I think there are, are as many talented, creative, uh, amazing human beings here as there are in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, or anywhere around anywhere. I, I will take the best here and I will play in the same field with those anywhere else. I believe in them. I, I'm just looking forward to really working with other people. And you know, I may hit you up and we may go, Hey, let's do this. Cause I'm interested in getting a whole collective together again and putting together stuff. Cause I thought about, doing what you're doing. I want to do a podcast. However, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it like Joe Rogan. And I'm also going to do one like Tom Bilyeu, who, who does his podcast on YouTube where he does, his is more of success in business yeah. because he's the one that started quest nutrition, made a hundred million dollars. And that's what I want to get into too, because I want to start playing in the same field with those people because they inspire me. Right. Cause you, you have to find, you have to find people that are better than you to truly inspire you to do what you're doing. And uh, I love working with creatives. I've had a good time working with certain teams. And now I'm looking to venture out and work with other teams because it's good to round yourself out and just get different opinions. Like I know in your brain, you've got some amazing ideas. I think it would be a blast to produce a, a couple of short fun films uh, mm -hmm. that maybe you had ideas on, you know? Yeah. And so I look for, I look forward to that. And, Instead of doing the thing with, like, I've had celebs hit me up recently who aren't working in COVID. They said, let's go do something. And I'll say to them, well, you're SAG. They say, forget SAG. I'll do it how I can get out of SAG problems. And we, we can just do it because they're, they're itching to get creative. And with 
things like Quibi now, the ten minute little yeah short, you know. I'm big stars are still doing confused that. as to what it is. I've seen I'm the commercials. Too. Interesting. Like yeah, I am too. What is this thing? What is that? But <laughs> yeah. people are doing it, and I think it's about. I really want to like. I've got a couple of films that I'm going to finish. One's a, a faith-based sports film that I want to work with some really good friends of mine that I, I've wanted to for years, uh, and it's not an overtly faith-based thing. It's just. It uses the word God, but it says faith, faith in yourself. It's just a positive film. It's a true story. And then I want to do more meaningful things. I Like, I've been watching all these videos, watching the young African-American boy clean up and get the scholarship because people's hearts were just, like, opened up to what he did, you know, when they had the rioting. Mm-hmm. I want to tell these stories of people who've gone somewhere because that inspires me, Andrew. I need that. Always have. I've always looked at stories that if somebody could do something, and here I was, you know, here I was, had my disability, and I worked really hard. I had to work three times harder than other people to get where I was at. And I did it. And I corrected a lot of my problem, and it's been amazing through the years. It took, you know, it took 35 years, whatever, to get there, maybe 40. Actually, it took about 40, almost longer than that about 40 years to finally get there in the past five years but uh working with it has really changed changed my life and i want to just keep inspiring people to pursue pursue the the direction that other follow some of these young kids i will give i will tell you one thing i love about these kids today on youtube they're just putting stuff out they're not afraid they're unabashedly putting stuff out and I admire them. I am proud of them. I want to get to that level to where I'm just putting stuff out with people I know because you can some put, of it, you, some of it's comedic, comedic bliss and unintentional. Oh, it, it is, uh, <laughs> unintentional. I would rather watch people like that because I could sit back Andrew and put together the best film under the sun. And with all the content out there, no one hardly sees it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Why did I spend years and years and years doing that? And people could say, well, you did it for yourself. No, you can do just as well in 60 days than waiting years before something comes out. Because there are so many talented people that I'm looking at film-wise, Andrew. I'm looking at them going, wow. And they'll tell, they'll tell me, we did it in 30 days. 30 days. Yeah. It's amazing. So yeah, I want to work with I'll work with a lot more people. Uh, I love that. Speaking of working with a lot more people, uh, I'm curious to know what is one of the coolest experience or uh, coolest experiences or most memorable experiences that you've had with the unbelievable plethora. And it doesn't have to be somebody famous. If you want to give somebody a shout out that means a lot to you or something like that, or if it does have to be a celebrity, whatever. Um, I've had a lot of those actually. Um, being able to sit with Gene Simmons in the back room, and he knew everything about our industry, and then getting invited to his house in Beverly Hills and going, and going to Universal City Studios was amazing. I love Gene Simmons. I understand some people have had issues. Yeah. He is an amazing human being behind the scenes. When he's when he's in his house. He's a different person. He is like grandpa. He is 
amazing. His wife was amazing. His daughter was amazing. Total respect for this guy. And he nearly had me breaking down in tears when I asked him, what were these pictures for on his personal shelf to his right? And he didn't like to talk about it. He just was like, oh, those are things I, I work with. I said, well what, well, what is it? It looks like um, you're putting up a school. And he says that he takes care of a thousand children in a different country. And he will take care of them and their families as long as they go to school and stay off drugs. He'll pay for it all the way through and take care of their families. And he does. And it just, wow. it, broke, it, broke, it broke me up, dude. It was like, I admire him. I respect him. That was an amazing experience. However, I've had so many good ones. You know, I can, I can think of one that I love walking into my VIP party in 2012. And there's Luke Perry bartending at my VIP party. I never asked him to. <laughs> it was it was amazing, Andrew. Um, just you know, being able oh, watching uh, Carrie Fisher come up the ramp of the Kentucky International Convention Center after the cab would not drop her off, and I got white as a ghost, and she was adorable, and she says, "I'm good. I'm gonna be great. Everything's wonderful," and I just I just had the biggest smile on my face to watch Princess Leia and she was adorable. She was wonderful. And then I have lots of little ones like riding in the car with some riding in the car with, uh, uh, Oh, Reese Myers, John Reese Myers. And it just have him tell stories. It was amazing. But I have so many Sean Astin pulling me up to the, to the green room at the top in 2012 and saying to me, I thought I was in trouble. And he said, is there anything I can do for you? And I thought, oh, my God, he's literally serving me. He's like, he, I'm his client, et cetera. He says, I work for you, kid. I just thought that was a beautiful moment. Um, but there's lots of those, Andrew, that, that I have. Uh, a lot of the people, a lot of great volunteers who I love to this day. I don't get to see them all the time. Uh, some some we talk back and forth, but we don't talk a lot. But some that I talk to once a year, we you know we'll talk, and they're just wonderful. They say they miss me and the team and the crew and Myra and everybody who's involved, who was involved. Um, those are those matter to me more. And and you know, Andrew, just like anything else, I know the one thing that I wish I could teach all of you guys myself. I wish I could remember is don't be so hard on yourself when you're in business. You will make mistakes. If your intent is to do the best you can, you will make mistakes. You are think, not perfect. I think that message uh, applies to everybody, not just in business. There's so many people, you know, it's it's a it's a common common thing for people to just be really really hard on themselves, be overly self deprecating. And uh, my wife has a real problem with that. You know, she just doesn't have a lot of confidence about herself. She's a first grade teacher. I mean, she's literally the world changer. Um, she yes, puts she the kids on the trajectory for the rest of their life. It's true. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't overstate that enough. And, you know, she just is like, I'm not talented. Um, just because she, you know, isn't a visual artist and she's not a performer. 
she's literally, that is her life is education. She's known that she's wanted to do that since she was a kid, you know, and so many people are, it's not just her. So many people are just hard on themselves and you are going to make mistakes. The only way that you can be better at anything is to fuck it up about a thousand times. Um, you know, even the most brilliant people, Thomas Edison, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Tesla, Elon Musk. I mean, the list goes on. They've, they've messed up a thousand yep. times. Absolutely. The top athletes. I mean, when you look to the top, those people got to the top because they messed it up over and over and over again and they weren't willing to stop. And I don't expect everybody to be that, but be kind to yourself. You know, that's one of the pushes for educators right now. We, we talked a lot about it this past year is mindfulness is being aware of the things that you need to do to take care of yourself because you can't be good at the thing that you went to school for. If you're not taking care of yourself, you know, if you're not meditating or you're not being healthy, if you're not getting the right amount of sleep, there's a lot of factors that can make you less than what you're capable of being in that classroom. And the same goes for everything. If you're a director, you need to be as mindful as you can be to be kind and polite to everybody else. But you also need to be kind to yourself. You know, and I think that's important. You talk about that, not just in an entrepreneurial standpoint, standpoint, but in life in general. I agree. And you need to tell your wife something that um, if I didn't have teachers to inspire me, I would never be where I'm at. And I used to be a motivational teacher a long time ago and I miss it. And I, I wish I would have stayed with it. Uh, believe it or not. Um, I used to be a certified firewalker. <laughs> I literally, I learned from Anthony Robbins. Are you familiar with Anthony Robbins, the motivational teacher? Yeah. Geez. Yeah. Okay. That's a blast his from the past. Yeah. His teacher <laughs> was, his teacher was my teacher in California. And, uh, what your wife does is more than life changing. It's world building. She changes worlds. And you need to tell her from me, and there's others like me, that we wouldn't be here without her. That she, I remember the day my first grade teacher and my fourth grade teacher both. I remember Miss Lease and I remember Miss Leo. Miss Leo and Miss Lease both bent their head down, whispered in my ear, you can do anything want to do if you set your mind and heart to it both of them said um and it changed me because when i had what happened to me i had to be a fighter andrew um about two years ago i had something happen to me and i didn't know what happened and i went to the doctors and i i don't like doctors but i came to the conclusion that i had to and I, I got into depression so badly, I wanted to not be here on the planet. And I've never felt that way. And the thing that kept me going was knowing that I wasn't done yet. I always, want, I always knew that, you know. Um, I want to live. And I want to inspire other people to live. And teachers, like your wife, got, got me there enough that I could take myself go to the doctors and find out that my hormones were shot. Three of the big, big three hormones were gone. Got working on those, changed it. It's changed my whole life. 
And apparently I was down for 20 years and I never knew it because I had so much stress. Up, up through the years, stress keeps getting to you. And even if you think you're doing the right things, I've learned so much, Andrew, that we all need help. We all have to ask for help sometimes. Even when we don't want to because it makes us feel weak, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't make us feel weak. It makes us stronger. It makes us stronger and better human beings. So now I've learned to ask from my friends and family and people that I just talk to and say, can I get your help? And people, they also want to be needed too. They like being a part of something. So if I can say this about anything is the teachers have always guided me, whether it be a teacher like your wife or the mentors that I've had. And my fears got in my way because I thought I wasn't worthy because I was adopted. So I had a handicap and adoption, two forms of security issues at a young age that affect you. I was adopted at three weeks of age, even found birth parent um, and had that situation not go as planned. Um, but I decided that, you know, life is great. No matter what pain is out there, no matter how bad the world's going, Andrew, even when I was nearly homeless, even when I, my, my mind wasn't, my brain was just having issues. I didn't realize it was like small seizures in the 90s, you know. It was what they called pettit malls. I went to a doctor in Indianapolis. And I was like, okay. And I realized the one thing that all this couldn't change was those teachers instilled whatever you want to call your heart, whatever your heart is, not the physical heart, but the heart of the person. It's gotten me to inspire to keep going and to find how I can do that for others. And that's all I try to do. Made mistakes and I've forgiven myself for those mistakes. Tell your wife that she is building worlds and she's building hearts that's important okay yeah appreciate that man yeah i'm sure she'll <laughs> well i hope that she gives us a listen at some point in the future um with that being said i think that's a beautiful segue into um what are some of the what are or who are some of the inspirations for you uh, into the pursuits i think you shared a couple of them uh with the, the couple teachers that you mentioned there uh, was there, and I think that you've said that some of the things that have happened to you have also done that as well. Uh, are there any other people in your life um, that have inspired you to pursue being um, so independent with your you know, business and being entrepreneurial and things of that nature? Um, several people, and I'll give one in particular. Um, my dad gave me my first camera. And my dad is a German Catholic, hardworking guy who really loved his job. He was an engineer, worked for a local television station, ABC, WKY-TV for years, 37 years. And he gave me some of that. And then after that, I just looked and saw people, people that broke out of whatever they said they couldn't break out of. I'm a person that looked at who was worse than I was, Andrew? Anybody who was worse than me was an inspiration. And they achieved greater than I've ever achieved this day. They inspired me. And I didn't care who they were. The color, race, 
orientation, none of that mattered to me. So I would say just people who were worse than me as well. And to this day, I still, every day, I got away from it for a while, which is probably was a bad thing. I look on YouTube and I find these stories, like on Goldcast, and I listen to these people. And Andrew, I'll I'll cry at the drop of a bucket. I mean, I'm I'm one of those guys that like I'm looking at stories online. I'm watching this African American shield this police officer, and I'm just crying. I'm watching people sing on the Voice, and. Uh, it breaks my heart to hear some of their stories, you know? And uh, I want people to understand that just because some of us may seem extroverted, we're also th that we're also introverted, we're people too and we have hearts, even if we don't always hang out with people. Because believe it or not, I don't want to necessarily always be in a big crowd, Andrew, because I like the one-to-one. -one. I like the soul-moving conversation. Yeah, that's always important to me. So I'd have to say people who inspire me are people that have done simple things to be a better human, people that have done extraordinary things when they lost things. Every every human interest story that I've ever used to motivate me from somebody who lost their entire business in a fire and they burned their entire body three quarters and they were in the wheelchair. I'll, I'll re I remember that story from a magazine called Success called Seven Comebacks. Every year they would do it. Every year, same time, same issue. And it was always the seven comeback stories of people who lost everything and came back. Well, I've come back, Andrew. I you know, stopped for just a tiny bit, like 18 months. Now I'm coming back to do some really good stuff with good people. And hopefully one day it's going to be with you. <laughs> I would love that, man. Uh, and I'm glad that you're making that resurgence because... Um, we need things like the conventions and stuff like that because there is such a, a sense of camaraderie and a, such a sense of community at those things. Uh, I've been frequenting those for years. I used to go to uh, the Fright Night Film Fest back in the the the, the days back, uh, what was it, 07, 08, things like that. Uh, John Carpenter at one of your conventions, Linda Blair, uh, and those were great experiences. And I had those experiences with my mom and you know, those are things I can't buy that experience that there was no price that you could put on that. I mean, that was a, a legend to me, someone that I've admired since I was a kid and he was amazing. He was so cool. I mean, he was just, he was so cool. <laughs> just a straight fucking shooter, man. <laughs> he didn't he bullshit anybody at that nope. convention at all. And nope. uh, just keep doing what you're doing. I think it's great. Thanks um, Andrew. Before we send it out, man, I know with uh, Corona getting uh, a lot of stuff has been put on hiatus, but if you have anything uh, that you'd like to promote that's coming up or anything that you would like people to check out, feel free to go ahead uh, and plug that. Yeah, I'm, tell, I'm putting on, I'm going to see how it goes. I'm going to see how the state of Kentucky goes, but so far I'm still putting on a smaller version of Fright Night. So if they go to FrightNightFilmFest.com and I'm putting on the first full independent film festival at the Georgetown drive-in. It will only be independent movies. So whichever movies play, it's going to be a big deal for them to see it on the big screen, a truly big, big screen. So I'm excited for that. That's coming up the last weekend of September. Fright night is coming in the first weekend, October. So hopefully more of this will be loosened up by that time. 
where we can at least get 500 people to 800 people for the whole weekend. Cause I'd rather have a fun experience with camaraderie without having a million celebrities, a few, and we all go out and have a good time with them. You know what I'm saying? And go back yeah. to that. Let's kind of all meet up and have some drinks around a big table with about 40 people and go, this is an experience I can't buy because just, here's so-and-so from that movie. Just don't forget about your boy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> hey, I won't forget about your brother. I will not. Well, I, I appreciate your time, Ken. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, all Andrew. Right. You take care. All right.